Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish to Thought Show. The purpose of this show is that I believe each and every one of us has a story to tell. There's something in our own lives that can entertain, uplift, and inspire those around us. That being said, the opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome to the show today. My guest is TFN Magre, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Product. And Product helps entrepreneurs go from idea to marketing, full service with global sourcing and end-to-end supply chain. He left his supply chain job when he realized traditional sourcing solutions were broken to launch Product and implement product creation strategies. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, you, you, tell, tell us a little bit about Product and what you guys do. And then uh, I kind of want to figure, I want to talk to you a little bit about the why behind and how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, product is a product creation and physical product company that we really help accelerate the development, creation, manufacturing, getting to market process. So a lot of small businesses, they, they, and big businesses, they struggle to either start or many are good at starting, but then aren't able to scale and grow. And what we try to do, and we do rather well, is set them up in a way where they can be as little, as long as they meet the minimums as they need to be, or they can be ready to supply a Walmart or a Costco right off the bat. And so the concept is, how do we take the ideas of what the biggest companies are doing out there, the Nikes, Adidas, Ford, Boeing, any of these big major manufacturers and brands, and how do we make it into bite-sized pieces where we can operate it for many different businesses and allow the business owners to focus on what matters most, creating revenue. So we like to say we take all the headaches away and we provide all the strategy that might take you 10 to 15, 20 years to learn from operating a business. And it just comes to you on a silver platter so you can operate and sell. So how, now you're the name Product, obviously for those that didn't catch it, the word proud is in there. Where did that come from? What's the concept behind that? The concept is it's easy to make something cheap that isn't really valuable and best products create tremendous value and a transformation of good or service or whatever for the customer. So the idea is if I'm going to market, if I'm going to vouch for a product, if I want to sell it, I need to believe in it and you believe in things you're proud of. So the idea is how do we make a product that you are proud of? And that's where product came from. Okay. Because typically, in my experience, or what I was told and taught my whole life is that anything in China was cheap crap. So that's you're not you're not doing that. You're going to find good good sourcing, correct? That's right. And, and the Chinese portion is interesting because the best products. Well, let me take a step back. I believe quality of work is independent of geographical restrictions. Meaning, I think if you took Monet, you know, arguably one of the best painters, and you put him in Russia or Kenya or anywhere in South America, the quality of the painting would be the same. 
It's not the location that defines the output of work. The inputs define the outputs. So when you're looking for a manufacturer, you're looking to find someone that knows how to control what's going in, control the process as it's moving. And if you do those two, the end result is what you want it to be. China for a long time was considered cheap because guess what? It was cheaper than making it anywhere else. And so we gave them the products that needed to be made as cheap as possible. Naturally, goods from China were cheap. We asked them to make cheap stuff. As their competency grew and their experience making goods and fabricating and developing the manufacturing traits and skills and machines needed, they went from being a low-quality manufacturer to being a high-quality, high-grade manufacturer, much like, and I don't remember this before my generation, cheap tin toys used to come from Japan. Now Japan makes some of the best cars on the market. So if I say it's a Japanese-made good, all of a sudden it's a very high-quality yeah. good, right? And China has is on the part of the pendulum where they're swinging in the very high-end good. For example, if you're looking to make textiles right now, you can. China is more expensive than much of Southeast Asia for textiles. However, many of the people working a sewing machine have been working a sewing machine for 25, 30 years. Highly competent, very well-skilled at doing their job, whereas someone in Bangladesh might be working a sewing machine for the last six months. So yes, the labor is cheaper, but is the competence the same? And so the question goes, are products in Bangladesh inferior? Bangladesh has nothing to do with it. The inputs have everything to do with it. So we work with a manufacturer that understands screening the material, training the employees, making sure there's inspections throughout the process. How do we find those people that are proud in the work they do so that you can be proud in the product yourself? So you're, you speak fluent Mandarin, is that correct? That's correct. And so you're like the point. What I've learned about you guys is that you're actually there inspecting these places to make sure that the quality is there. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So how many, if you can talk numbers, how many businesses have you done this manufacturing that you guys have done? How many have you done stuff for? So that's interesting because we do a lot of work that sometimes never comes to market where someone's doing research, they're planning, developing an idea. And for whatever reason, it doesn't come to fruition either. They test it and a successful test doesn't mean it launches. A successful test of a product may mean the market's not ready or the market can't bear this good or whatever it may be, right? We've done dozens of industries, everything from shoelaces, lanyards, glasses, through tiny houses, pools, um, camera accessories, all sorts of things and completely different skills. And it's interesting because many people approach us and they say, how is that possible? Because a traditional sourcing company or buying office will focus on buying one commodity or one type of good. So the average buyer for a company, you know, uh, if you look across where we live, there's a lot of essential oil companies, right? They'll be experts at buying oils. They know how to buy an oil. A backpack company will know how to buy backpacks. That's what they do. 
we focus not on a specific good and category of good, but rather on the process by which goods are purchased to accelerate any good or commodity. So it would be just as easy for me to go buy a a ping pong table as it would be to buy a piano because we're not focused on the details that would be found vertical, but laterally what has to happen to find the right person to make it. Okay. So those are all big lofty business things, right? Mm -hmm. How I want to kind of talk about the, have you always had this, this mindset, this entrepreneurial thing in you, or did you, did you have family or how did you learn this? What are the, some of the mindset that you've had to, to get you into the position that you're in now? And maybe this is a seven part question, but yeah, it kind of is. I, I, I would say, and I tell people I'm an entrepreneur out of necessity. I was working for a failing company. Hadn't been paid in months. Had a baby on the way. At the end of the day, you have to eat, you have to pay rent, you have to figure it out. And we'd proven a concept in the past where we said, can we help small businesses grow by cutting their costs or improving their quality, and which ultimately helps them save costs and save customers? And we didn't make any money, but we proved that we could. So we decided, me and my business partners, to go in all in and try it. And, and that's what we've done. How we've got, how I've gotten here is by doing that and I'd say perfecting the cycle by which it's done for many people in many different industries. That, that's really it. I, I don't remember as a kid being someone that would buy and sell stuff. I don't have those stories. I think I'm scared of entrepreneurship naturally. But I also think being scared of entrepreneurship can be a good thing. You know, being, I'm not afraid to fail, but I am afraid of not being able to provide. So I operate in a way where I always do what has to get done. I don't know if that answers your question the way you wanted it to be. Or... No, I, <clears throat> I have no agenda. But um, yeah, and I guess, you know, defining what fail looks like too. That's, that's right. That, that means different things for different people. But how long have you guys been? How long has product been together? And it's and how how like is it just the three of you for the most part? Or, I mean, so as we've the, been a company for five years. There's the three owners. We have no employees. We contract a lot of the work. We believe we're not anti-employee, but we want to make sure that people are always motivated to do a good job. And since what we do is manage vendors, it almost makes the most sense for us to just keep doing that with people that provide similar services to what an employee would provide, whether they be here in Utah or in China or the Philippines or Mexico, wherever they are. So we hold people accountable on results-based, not time-based. If you've learned how to do a task in an hour or two hours that would take an employee eight hours, I'm not going to force you to work eight hours to do something you can do in two. So we reward efficiency. So not a big team, very small, very lean, but in those cost savings, it allows us 
to share them with someone else. Let me tell you something that I think, you know, when I think back to what helped me learn and grow, it was, and why that's important to where I'm at in my career today, is I remember moving from France to America at the age of six and didn't speak a word. We were there temporarily, and, and two things happened. Number one, I remember going across the street and seeing a boy. His name was Matthew. My parents went to meet the neighbors. They'd not met them either. It was uh, corporate housing that was provided, so we were living in this house. My parents didn't know. And, and where was that? It was in Vermont. I from Vermont. And I went to go play with this boy, and he didn't speak a word of French, and I didn't speak a word of English. But we somehow played basketball together. And learning how to communicate early when you don't, when you are unable to communicate, I think has helped me throughout my career and well in the future, get ideas across more easily, find better ways to communicate a message, choosing words better, things like that. I think it's helped me a lot. But the other thing that the move did was not only did it force me to adapt but I would do the entire American system during the day. Then I would go home and do the entire French educational system. So I learned to work long hours and to kind of do a blitz of work where you get through a big chunk of work very quickly. Because if I didn't do all my homework from both educational systems very quickly, there was no time to play. There was no time to go out. And so... I find now I'm a very good time manager. I manage time, resources, schedules very well, where I see a lot of people struggle with that. But that's because it's been like that my entire life. Well, we found when working with manufacturers and with people in general that people are just people trying to do their job. And it sounds stupid almost to say that, I have a bad habit of getting frustrated with people not doing things the right way or not trying hard or it's not as important to them as it is to me. And let's face it, employees or people that work for a job, it will never be as important to them as it is to you. Agreed. And I like to think I surround myself with intelligent people. And it's not always the same for everyone, right? A lot of employees that work for different businesses, they're trained to do a task. And when it's outside of that task, for them, it's outside their scope of work. They they don't understand why that's being asked of them. This is important in this manufacturing because I'll give you a perfect example. We made skateboards and skateboard wheels. And our wheels were made of polyurethane. I've made millions of units with polyurethane between skate and other goods. Millions of them. And we print almost everything that has a urethane on it. So we're in a yoga factory with a customer to make yoga mats. It's not a yoga factory. It's a yoga mat factory. And um, they have these urethane mats. They're important in yoga because they're high friction, so you don't slip. Even when you sweat on it, there's a lot of traction that allows you to, you know, do whatever you're doing on your yoga. And um, most people on these what's called sticky mats, they laser engrave them to put their logo, which makes it two-tone. However, you're very restricted on what you can do with an engraving, right? 
So I tell him, why don't you print it? He says, it's impossible. And so I'm here having printed millions of urethane items, thinking, what are you talking about? And he says, it can't be done. It's like, it can't or you haven't tried. He goes, we can't do it. It hasn't been done. And so I say, let's talk to one of the engineers. And actually, because if there's something I don't understand, I'm happy to, to be educated and to learn. And so we went and we spoke to his boss who said, oh, yeah, I just got a printed sample yesterday. Check this out. And so in that experience, you see this employee, he didn't understand. He didn't know. And we're coming with outside experience, outside knowledge. So for him, it's unfeasible. Can't be done. And right there on the spot, we created a whole new category of product that didn't exist on the market yet. No one was selling these mats. They did not exist. And just by asking questions and looking into it, turns out they do exist. They can be done. We can differentiate from the biggest brands on the market tomorrow. No one else has this. So for employees, where I'm going with this, is I find it's best to speak to them by process. They sometimes don't understand the solution. They don't get it. It's outside their scope of work. Asking them to ask someone, can it be printed? It's not what they're trying to sell. They're trying to sell existing product. Everything else of that is irrelevant to them. And so we like working with contractors because they want the deal. They want to figure it out. They have an incentive to making it happen. Yeah, versus the hourly mentality of, that's never been done before. Not in my job description, and I don't know. I'm not getting paid more to figure it out. Or I don't have a clue. I love that answer. Or versus thinking, no, if I figured it out, I could probably sell it to all my other customers too. All of a sudden, whoa. There's an incentive. There's an incentive. Yeah, to create, which is... But yeah, no, I had my own business for a few years and, and having, I had 14 employees at one point and they're never going to have the same vision and drive that you do. You know, it's just, it's, it's not, not going to happen, you know. But what but, you can do is you can give them a process. I like to call them inputs that they can do to get the outputs you want from them. That's what I think most business owners need to do. And that's how we, we try to run product. Look, our input to you is all the supply chain, as much or as little as you need. We can handle everything from just helping you engineer it all the way through fulfilling it to your customer. Or not, whatever you want. That's our input. What we expect from you is to sell. Sell, 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 sell. Let me tell you a story about the time something went south. Would you be interested in that? I would I would be interested in that, yes, yes. So a few years ago, we were contacted to make a, a new hair accessory that was patent pending. Production had been, was being done in the USA, but we were going to cut costs by like 300%. Enormous cost savings, right? Not to mention that we could produce in six weeks what would take this other facility a year to make. So we were saving tons of money. We were moving a ton faster. Everyone's happy. Full speed ahead. Here's the check. Go. So everyone, everything's being done correctly. 
we're sewing, we're inspecting, we ship, customer gets it. That's wrong. All 25,000 pieces. Okay. What's wrong? Like, let's figure this out. Is this something we can send to the other shop and have them patch? What's the problem? The problem is the manufacturer decided to save a quarter penny a piece by swapping out a key component that tied two pieces of aluminum wire together. And by doing that, it would break and render the entire hair accessory worthless within a day or two use. 25,000 units. Gone. The customer actually sent us a video of it. So we said, okay, we flew to Denver. We flew the manufacturer from China to Denver because they said, no, it's not possible. It's right. It was wrong. And uh, we inspected it. And you know what? We had to fix it. What we, In the process, we did understand that there were some differences in expectations between the two parties and the customer hadn't clearly communicated everything to the manufacturer but the manufacturer acknowledged that at the end of the day they tried to save a quarter penny a piece and so they said they worked out a deal where if you pay a little bit extra we'll negotiate it or we'll replace it and the manufacturer paid out of their own pocket to replace every single item so you still use them because they're they were legit and owned it. They were legit. They owned it. It's one of those where it's this could sink everyone's business. Yours, I mean, if litigation comes back to you, you could be in trouble. And so they they owned it. They fixed it. What what <laughs> we felt bad for the customer when we saw them because this was proprietary product. They filled a dumpster with it, bought a bunch of bleach bottles and poured the bleach all over it, further destroying the goods. But there was nothing that could be done. They, they were gone. So in terms of like communication issues, because China, to and are most of your customers from America? The majority are from the USA, yes. Okay, so is, is there cultural or communication issues? I mean, I know you speak the language, but is that... Are you the one that goes every time and inspects, or do you have other people doing that? No, we don't go every time. Um, we have services that do that for us. We've also found that if the factory, when you're working with someone honest that you trust, that you have a relationship with, if you tell them exactly what you're looking for, and again, you give them all the tools they need to do that, whether it be a report or the way by which they're testing or whatever it is, they're willing to do that. It's up to you to provide that. So when you get to communication, it's one thing to send the same message as you've received. The question is, is the message received the right message? For example, you say, make me a chair. Okay, I say, make chair. But is the chair I said to make that they're receiving the same chair you had in your head? Not necessarily. It's actually doubtful. For example, they should have the customer acknowledged, I should have told you that this one penny piece was a critical component. 
no one knew it was that critical to the output of the good. So it failed. Where, where you give, in China, where you don't specify, it means the manufacturer gets to decide. And that's where you get shortcuts made. So there's gray area, and then there's Chinese gray area. Well, and that's exactly right. And then generally that Chinese gray area, and again, I mean, think about it. For the last 50 years, they've been told cheaper, 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 cheaper. That's all they've heard from the American and European buyer. So when you don't tell them, they assume cheaper, 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 cheaper. Can you blame them? No. I, I think when you make a mistake, you have to blame yourself, right? I didn't tell you. You made it to what you thought was appropriate. Yeah. So in, we do a lot of China trips with our customers, and we, we encourage them to come not just to see their goods, but to have a cultural integration, to really get the feeling of Chinese business, what's China like. Seeing the sites is one thing. Sitting in an office is another. But breaking bread with someone in a local restaurant, you know, really getting that culture in is one of the best ways to, to build a relationship. So we had this customer from Europe who he flew from Europe. We met him there. We went to meet with this factory. They it was a, going to be an exciting new product. Everyone wanted to make it. It was cool. It was innovative. It was different. So we get into this meeting. We're sitting down. They order all this food. I mean, the suckling pig, everything and everything. They brought all the management staff from the hotel or from the factory. We're all sitting there getting ready for dinner. And the, the German customer, Tassie, goes, oh, by the way, we're vegan. Not today, you aren't. That's exactly what I said. I said, sorry, not today. You'll have to pick out the cucumbers and, and the hummus from everything else because we're not canceling this order. And in China, if you don't like the food and send it back, you still pay for it. Just because you didn't like it doesn't mean it was prepared wrong. So if, if you're ever in China, by the way, the picture you see on the menu is exactly what you will receive. If they cut that, again, cucumber in eight slices at that right angle, your dish will be exactly like that. So it was one of those where it could have been an extremely embarrassing moment and put everyone in a really bad situation. And in a country and culture where relationships are everything. The last thing we wanted was to insult them and say, we won't eat your food. Yeah. After they ordered it. Yeah. Bad form. So, sorry, buddy. So, uh, are they vegan still? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they ate. <laughs> they were probably starving afterwards. It's like your grandma. You will eat what's on that plate, young man. Because I made it for you. Well, it's one of those <clears throat> things where, same thing, communication. Had he told us 20 minutes before? Could have ordered tons of vegan dishes or vegetarian dishes or whatever they wanted, right? The timing of the message was yeah. too late. Yeah. There's nothing that we could do at that time other than ordering more vegetables and fruits and things like that to help accommodate. But so were they okay and they still they, they made still? it they were they were kind about it and they were good, oh. but it's tough. It, it could well, have been like, well it's like a religion. Vegan is kind of like a religion, really. To some people. To which we're totally sensitive. We, we yeah, have a yeah. lady that just traveled with us who has an extremely severe peanut allergy. And they use a lot of peanut oil in China. Right. And so it was a different trip. We had to plan every single meal. 
never done that before, but call every restaurant, call every hotel and say, wherever you're preparing this, it has to be prepared in a different area. No She's peanuts. That even, I mean, she, she, she told us, like, I will die. I'll, I'll bring my EpiPen, but if it happens twice, I will die. And so <laughs> it was just difficult to do, yeah. right? You can't get snack food. It's not a thing. That's a whole nother curse, another topic, but food allergies, which didn't exist when I was a kid. Never heard about them. So if, if somebody wants to, if somebody wants to reach out to you guys, how would they find you? Product.com okay. is a good one. Instagram, Facebook, we're on all the platforms. I'm most active on LinkedIn. Okay. But yeah. Two more questions. Um, I actually have a, a brother-in-law who's created something for, he's a flight medic mm. and wanted to know, kind of know what the process would be. He's built the just one, um, how he would go about one, finding out if it exists already. And then what would be the next steps to try to get something like that put together? If some guy in his garage has created something. So I call those created somethings. It's a word I use. I don't know anyone else that uses it. I call it an idea type. You've basically proven concept of an idea, and you're able to use it to explain what you want. It might not be the best solution, but we understand what it's for and how it's to be used. Those idea types are cool. They help. What we need is to get something that we can actually make, right? And that usually includes an engineer mechanical, electrical, design, whatever it is, where that engineer says, a good engineer won't just say aluminum shaft here, this there, those accessories. They'll actually plan it through. We'll manufacture it using this process, this type of aluminum, this type of plastic, whatever it is, right? But before all that, I say the first step, can you sell it? Before you spend all this money paying all these people with tons of degrees to figure out how to do it, can you sell it? Is there a market? And what we tell every entrepreneur, start selling now. They say, well, you know, I excuses. You can pre-sell right now. The American consumer is used to ordering something and getting it later. You, it's not, but it is, right? Think when you order something on Amazon, you don't have it right then. It takes time. Then you take Kickstarter, even more time. There's all these ways of just pre-selling something. How is a home sold? They sell it, then they build the home, right? So validate the market. And the best way to validate is to take people's money. Fact. Taking money. Okay. Well, and if you wait... <clears throat> think you could go hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars in the whole engineering creating ideating something and then not sell and then not sell and you're out all that money and all that time when really you could have proven that let's make let's take a microphone for example you created this microphone with this big camera and lcd screen only to realize people wanted to record audio they have their camera for everything else so you spend all this money creating something, adding features they don't need instead of the ones they do need. It's an interesting term called gold plating, by the way. It's where you add features that 
you think are cool and they increase costs, but they add no value to the customer. Got it. Okay. Right. So selling, sell as much as you can, as fast as you can, as early as you can in the process. Okay. Good counsel. What do you, do you guys, and then even you personally, like what's the kind of the impact you want to have with this company on the world? Well, it's, it's, I have the, the, the unique privilege of making a living from it, right? I make money, which is cool and we do well. So that's cool. And we like that, but I, we have the real privilege of seeing our customers that we call partners and rejoicing in their successes. It's, you know, when, when someone calls you and they say, hey, you know, we just did half a million dollars in sales and this amount of time, we've never done that before, or we're going to break $5 million this year, or whatever their success story is, we kind of feel like, you know what, we, we played a part in that. We get a portion of that success and that joy, and so we like that. I also personally think that future job growth and economic growth isn't going to come from Amazon making another billion dollars or Walmart doing another $2 billion in sales. It's going to come from small and medium enterprises going from $1 million to $6 million in sales, or from $8 million to $20 million. That's where the real growth is and prosperity will be. I've also found if we leave the United States, um, well, it's true anywhere in the world, really, that wealth is created through assets, being able to claim assets, property ownership, things like that. So with our tiny house business, we're really excited to give people an opportunity that otherwise would be renting and not building wealth to finally own something, to have an asset that they can hold on to, that they have a claim, that they can rent, sell, move up, progress, whatever it may be. That's what I'm excited about. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, sir. For your time thank you thanks uh, for having me. this is uh it's been fun chatting with you about all this and uh we'll do it again thank you again for listening to the parish the thought show we would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com feedback if you love or hate what you hear please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us